Hey there, just want to let you know about Invisibilia. It's NPR's show about the invisible forces shaping our behavior. The show is back on March 9th with a brand new season. This time, the Invisibilia team is taking on some of the biggest cultural fights of our time. Russian hacking, reality TV, Me Too, just to name a few. You can listen to Invisibilia and subscribe to Invisibilia on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, y'all. From NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Today on the show, Black Panther. Wanted to wait to talk about it until we all had time to watch it and process it and watch it again. Also, for those of you who haven't seen it yet, do not worry. There are no spoilers in this episode. And it's a chat that will make sense to you and I think give you a lot, even if you haven't seen Black Panther. So, for this conversation, I'm talking to two people. Glenn Weldon, you know him from NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. He writes about books and comic books for NPR.org. Also talking with Evan Narciss. Evan is based in Austin, Texas, and he is actually writing a series of comics right now for Marvel. They are a prequel to the plot line in the Black Panther film. It's called The Rise of the Black Panther. So Evan got that job writing Black Panther comics, coolest job ever, uh, with some help from ta Coates. ta Coates has also himself written some Black Panther comics. So in this chat, we get into a lot. The comics, the movie, the role of the Black Panther in the culture, in black culture. Uh, it was really interesting to me, and I'm not even a comic book person. Oh, also at the top, Evan and Glenn and I kind of nerd out on Donald Glover and his show Atlanta. Don't worry, we get to the Black Panther, I promise. All right, here I am talking with Glenn Weldon in D.C., Evan Narciss at member station KUT in Austin. Enjoy. Hello, D.C. This is Evan Narciss in Texas. Hey, man. Hey there, how are you? Hey, Glenn. I don't think we've ever done this before. No, 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 but I'm a fan, so... I likewise. It's great talking to you, man. You wrote the book on Batman. I did. I wrote a book on Batman. The book. Just just (laughs) accept it. (laughs) Also... My colleague Brent's telling me in my ear now, Evan, that you're a fan of the show on it on FX called Atlanta. Oh, listen, mm-hmm. don't get me started. I'm gonna tell you who I interviewed recently. Paperboy, oh. Brian Tyree Henry. Nice. He was so good. He's Brian good people. Is great. He's good yeah. people. That whole show. It is groundbreaking. As a as an aside, I was lucky enough by pure happenstance to be able to go to the Black Panther premiere in L.A. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sci-Fi flew me out. I was they were doing a video package about um, Black Panther, Black History Month. Um, I flew out on a Wednesday, supposed to black, go back on Friday, but mm-hmm. a friend of mine works a variety says, you're going to be my plus one for the premiere. I'm like, ah, I should nice. get back home, my kid, so on and so forth. She's like, stop being stupid, yep. come with me to the premiere. Yep. Uh, and then I got to the after party through a similar se- set of weird circumstances. Wait, of- pause though. Why didn't they just give you all the tickets? Because you're literally writing Black Panther comics. <laughs> Listen. Is that hard? I have that same question too. <laughs> and, and, and Glenn probably knows this, but you might not, Sam, but like Roxanne Gay was like, was mad online yeah and justifiably so i mean she couldn't get into it nope right yeah she wasn't invited um wow um and she lives in la (laughs) injury yeah so crazy so you're at the after party and donald glover's there and i'm Mm -hmm. like look and you guys have probably had this we're like when i'm a journalist i try to be professional Mm -hmm. i don't ask Mm -hmm. for pictures or autographs or any of that but i'm like i'm not here as a journalist and donald (laughs) glover's right there so I'm going to talk to him. Yep. Was he nice? Yeah, he was really nice. What I said to him was, um, I really uh, 
those notes that he wrote after Community. I don't know if you remember them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those hit me like hard. What, were they, what was this? Well, he was basically talking about like he was leaving the show because he wanted to create basically like a new thing for yeah. himself, like like a new creative identity yeah. for himself. And he wasn't sure if people were gonna like it or not. And like you know, it was basically like this really transparent chronicle of like angst and whatever mm. like like basically all the ch- emotional churn he was going through mm. he wrote and i remember the way it was framed in some of the um yeah. gossip sites and stuff you're like oh he's having a breakdown he's losing it and i'm like pardon me let him live <laughs> let yeah. him he was he was reaching for something and not not grasping it uh-huh. it's just right amazing yeah. it's amazing and i told him how much i appreciated him putting that he put these notes on instagram i was like how much i I appreciate him being so vulnerable like that in mm-hmm. public. And he's like, look, if that's what it's all about. If you're not going to be that, if you're not going to be that in your work and in your life, then what's the point? Yep. And yeah. And I'm okay. like, I'll follow you wherever. All right. <laughs> Have you seen any of the new season yet? I haven't. It's I haven't. so good. It's so good. Yeah. Screeners must be out there. Right? There's like three um, screeners out and it's just great. Yeah. 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 I, I, yeah. I love that whole look. Keith, Listen, I can interviewed him too. Lakeith. Lakeith is the nicest guy in the world. Mm-hmm. But did you get like, or did you get like the Andy Kaufman Lakeith, or did you get like, <laughs> I can't, you can't tell. That's you can the never thing. tell. You know, by the end of it, I was like, I think I get you. I, I, I feel <laughs> like we're on a plane together, but yeah, you never know. Yeah. <laughs> he was nice yeah. though. So I, I had him and now Brian Terry Henry, and I'm trying to get the whole cast of that show and no, that the whole cast of Insecure. I want them all. Uh huh. Um, when when Zazie was in, uh, was announced as Domino for Deadpool two, I, I damn near lost it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'm not gonna keep you guys. I can no, do this, this all is, day. This is good. So I should clarify: you both are comic book experts. Yes. Glenn, you write about comics a lot. And, yeah, entirely too much. And Evan, you are writing some new actual Black Panther comics, right? right? Which ones are you writing? I'm writing the uh, Rise of the Black Panther. It's a miniseries that started in January. Mm-hmm. And what's it about? Um, so it's about T'Challa's first year as king. Um, and he is a Black Panther in the movie. Yeah, he's a Black Panther in the movie. So in the Marvel Universe... When we first meet Wakanda, it's a hidden kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, T'Challa has to send a, a fancy plane to go fetch the Fantastic Four, bring them to mm-hmm. Wakanda. Nobody knows where it is, how to get there, right? Mm-hmm. Then a couple of years later, the Wakanda design group is being traded publicly on the um, New York Stock Exchange. So something happened. They they decloaked after mm-hmm. a while. Mm-hmm. And the story I'm telling um, is the, the story of T'Challa deciding to reveal yeah. Wakanda to the world. We're going to get more into that later, uh, yeah. but I want us to first kind of just talk about the moment that the movie Black Panther is having. So we are taping this Wednesday, uh, uh, the week after Black Panther came out in theaters in the States, and this film has broken a lot of records already. It's already made over $400 million worldwide, $235 million domestically, one of the biggest weekend openings of all time. It was, what, over $190 million just for the weekend in yep. the States? Yep. So my question to both of you guys as comic book experts, could you ever have predicted this level of success for this film right now? Uh, I'll start. Uh, given the uh, name recognition of this particular character, wouldn't necessarily have seen it coming, but everything else was pointing in this direction. Okay, in a big way. like what? Uh, just just the the buzz around it, the the awareness of it within certain sectors of the community, and just the fact that it is overdue. Uh, this is very heartening to me as somebody who's been telling people over and over again. Uh, look, the superhero cinematic genre is bigger than you know it can be. Uh, mm-hmm. we, you, we've seen a lot of films that are very similar over the years, but now we are starting to get a comedy 
out-and-out comedy like Thor Ragnarok. We're starting to get see Wonder Woman with a with a female lead, and we're finally starting to see this. We are seeing a film that, while it touches on some of the same checkboxes that super films have to touch on, it does so much else. It feels different. It sounds different, uh, and it and it, uh, it it represents something that uh, Evan could probably talk about better than I can. Okay. Yeah. No. Same. You know, it's funny. I I I, I find myself flashing back to moments. Growing up as a child of Haitian immigrants, I was mm-hmm. raised by my mother. And, you know, sometimes she would talk about black Americans in the same way, uh, with the same stereotypes that white Americans, white hegemony has promulgated mm-hmm. about them, right? So and I'd be like, Mom, if, if you didn't know any better, they would be us and us would, and we would be them, huh. you know? And that, that, that t- kind of diasporan tension, like, the movie sees with it, you know? Like the place that you think of as home, do you belong there? I, I went back to Haiti um, as a teenager, and my Creole is terrible. I grew up here. Hmm. Um, but I went back as a teenager, and I remember people on the street calling me Moon Blanc, which means white person. Hmm. Um, and you're um, not that. <laughs> and I'm not that. And it hurt. Uh-huh. Yeah, but what I think is fascinating is that uh, classically in the comics, the the conflict, or at least one of the main conflicts, the conflict you associate with this character is he's not he he's torn between wanting to run off from the and be in the outer world with the Fantastic Four and the Avengers and being a king. What does it mean to be a king? And that's what the Tanase Coates run is all about philosophies of rule in a way like well, what kind of king is he going to be? Tanase has written some of the comics. Yes, he has written a, a very successful uh, recent run of the comics. Um, the fascinating thing is that the conflict in this movie is not that. It is something a lot more nuanced. It is. We have T'Challa, who has spent his life in Wakanda, kind of untouched by colonialism. Uh, and we contrast him with Killmonger, who is a character who is steeped in colonialism because he grew up in Oakland yeah. and steeped in the sort of institutional racism. And their conflict is one of differing philosophies. Uh, Killmonger wants the wealth of, of Wakanda to be shared with the downtrodden people of the world. Uh, and T'Challa wants to protect it. So what we have here is a character who is coming to terms with his privilege. Yeah. And that is fascinating and it gives a lot of white folks who are watching this film a way in yeah but it also seemed very black to me because yeah. like when i see it's super black yeah like it, it, it is black and universal because when i left the movie i said wow i'm asking myself really big questions about what it means to be a black person of privilege mm-hmm. what do i do with my privilege is it mine and my own or do i need to share it with those that are downtrodden right but i do think we have to acknowledge that it's also very corporate Mm-hmm. He comes from this big studio that is trying to make money, and we, everyone that is buying a ticket to this film, is supporting like that beast. Is it weird? And this is for both you guys. Is it weird to feel conflict about a thing that looks very much like Black Pride, but is also very much lining the pockets of some big corporation? I mean, I feel like that is a quintessentially black diasporan black American mm. question okay explain we're integrated into the fabric of this country and it's and it's systems right mm-hmm. um we built this place even as it excluded us from institutions and franchisement right so at any level your participation is going to be like a compromise mm. um i think one of the big triumphs of of black panther of the movie is that it feels still feels personal like, this mm-hmm. feels like Ryan Coogler's, exactly. you know, grappling with his black diaspora identity, like, on the screen. Yeah. yeah. And everybody who loves these characters, not 
it's not inflected the same way, of course. But everybody who loves these characters grapples with some kind of conflict here because these are heavily licensed nuggets of intellectual property, first and foremost. <laughs> and they're, they're, they're toys that different creators get to take out of the toy box, play with for a while, and then put back. Uh, and mm. so you invest in, in individual writers, you mm-hmm. invest in individual artists, you invest mm-hmm. in different filmmakers. But... The thing is, the key to it is that Coogler, it does feel, Evan's exactly right, it does feel personal. It feels like it's on this arc of of Coogler's previous films. Yeah, yeah. All right, time for a quick break. When we come back, how much of Black Panther can be traced back to the rise of Barack Obama? BRB. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Every business needs great people and a better way to find them. Something better than posting your job online and waiting for the right people to see it. ZipRecruiter can help. Their technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. Try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com minute. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, y'all, thank you for listening to It's Been a Minute. Please help us out by telling us what you like and how we can improve this show. Take a short survey. It's anonymous. It's quick, I promise. Go to npr.org slash podcast survey. Just takes a few minutes, and you will do all of us at this show a big, big favor. Go to npr.org slash podcast survey. Thank you. I'm really interested in how a film like Black Panther fits into the state of our politics. I mean, I have this really, really unformed theory that some of the legacy of Barack Obama being in the White House for eight years opened up the realm of possibility as to what studio execs and TV directors and movie makers think white people would watch. Mm-hmm. Um But I also think a lot about how uh, some parts of the culture and of the arts that we consume have become places of reaction to to Donald Trump, you know? And I'm wondering, is it fair to read anything into how Black Panther fits into the politics of today? And if so, what are your thoughts on that? So I have a lot to say here. Okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) The first thing is... Knowing what we know about the Hollywood creative process, this this movie probably it was announced what three four years ago, mm-hmm. um, and the script was probably written a bunch of years ago. Mm-hmm. One, you know, you have to talk about the creation of this movie um, and mention Nate Moore, who's um, a producer at Disney. I mm-hmm. believe the only black producer working on Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. Um, he he championed this movie getting made right, and so then you have to ask yourself: Is Nate Moore there because? of the Obama effect, right, at Disney, mm-hmm. um, th- them deciding they need to have somebody uh, to diversify their their creative executives. That's not a, a, a question I have the answer to, mm-hmm. but I feel like it's something you could at least consider. That said, I'm writing Black Panther comics right now. Yeah. Um, and I'm very much channeling my legacy as a child of immigrants, mm. a, a child of people from a country that Donald Trump called a hole. Mm. That stuff is very much going into. My so comics. that politics will definitely affect the comics that you write for the Black Panther. Yeah, I mean, mm. I mean, part, the thing is, it's not something you have to force either, because uh, Haiti was the first free Black republic, right? Mm. You know, we were we were the first country to throw off the yoke of of colonialism. Wakanda is a country that resisted colonialism outright, right? Yeah. So there's this idea of self reliance, self determination, which has been a large um, vector 
and and black freedom struggles all over the world. Um, so that's not that hard a jump for me to make. You mm-hmm. know, I remember my mom would get into arguments with other people from other Caribbean countries and would always get shouted down about how prideful she was. Um, but, you know, for a long time, in some ways, Haiti being poor and being suffering consequences of, of throwing off their yokel colonialism, pride was all we had. Mm. And Wakandans are prideful. Like, I know how to write Wakandans because I'm Haitian. <laughs> okay. But, like, it's, it's very much informed by... Real stuff. Like, real stuff. Black strategies of, of survival and self-love and resistance um, that have happened in all black diaspora communities. Like, T'Challa goes out there in the comics... He joined the Avengers to spy on them. They thought he was one thing. He was really another. That's code switching. That's hiding part of who you are so that you can get access. That's the survival strategy that black people have done, like, for centuries. You know, different modes of existence where black people have had to uh, figure out how to improvise, how to live inside uh, a system of white hegemony. That's Wakanda. So Uh we weren't calling it Wakanda before 1960, whatever the hell. (laughs) But, like, it's it's very much... A series of practices, I feel like, that are all about black survival. So, like, Wakanda may not be real in terms of geography, but it's, it's been real, I think, in psychology for a long time. Yeah, and that psychology is key because what superheroes are, at their most basic level, are tidy little morality tales to teach you right and wrong. They're also, importantly, wish fulfillment. They are uh, kids who want to fly, who want to be strong, who want to beat up the bad guys, who want to protect people. And to posit a world uh, untouched by colonialism, uh, or at least uh, that's been able to repel colonialism, that is wish fulfillment. That's all it is. And it's powerful. That's what superheroes do. They represent ideals. And uh, to to resent that is to resent superheroes. And so it's, it's always weird to me to see the most ardent superhero fans, uh, a small section of the very ardent superhero fans objecting to anything yeah. that isn't theirs. Yeah. You know... You think of that backlash from those haters, mm-hmm. but Black Panther comes after the latest Thor film was directed by a person of color. Mm-hmm. It comes after the wild success of Wonder Woman. Um, have we turned over a new page in what it means to make comic book movies? And have we reached this new future where this is just the way it's going to be now? There are going to be more stories told? Or could we easily see five or six years from now... The landscape is how it used to be, and and all the heroes look one way. Both of those things are possible. Um, okay. I mean, certainly, we can prove. You know, historically, Hollywood needs needs evidence that we can point to it and saying this can happen. Um, but it didn't happen with Blade, right? It didn't happen yeah. with it didn't happen with Meteor Man. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, what? Well, every year there's a black film that does well, and sure. every year there's an article that says, "Whoa, this black movie made money." And it's like, well, yeah, yeah that's yeah. kind of how it can work sometimes. Mm-hmm. But so I mean, I guess yeah, like, does this change everything, or could could we easily find ourselves back in a situation where it's Chris Pine and the people that look like him making all the movies with comic book heroes? I mean, that's never going to go away. That, okay. that, yeah. that, you know, and no I, shade on Chris Pine. I think he's great. No, no, certainly not. Um, he's in the wrinkle all the time. He gets he gets some kind of credit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, what what worries me is somebody who's I'm in my mid forties. I lived through the nineties where we had rock on on screen, living color, living single. Oh yeah. It felt like we had a foothold, and then that foothold got eroded. Right. Despite the fact that we've had Girls Trip and Get Out and Black Panther, and I'm, I'm forgetting one now, and I'm going to feel bad about this later. But, you know, so again, it feels like, again, we're establishing a foothold. It's tough to say whether that foothold's going to last. You know, what I want out of this moment is I want studios to be more concerned about finding more Ryan Coogler's and Ava DuVernay's than, than I am 
concerned about them finding more Black Panthers. And I say mm. this as somebody who loves Black Panther. Yeah. And not just Ava and Ryan, but other people of color, queer Lena people, Waith, trans Donald people, Lover. All, yeah. all the shades, like all of that, you know? Right, exactly. I want to pivot a little bit and talk about how you came to be involved um, writing actual Black Panther comics. I mean, that is like, it seems like a dream come true. How'd you get there? It is. Um, so it's very much a function of me being a critic. Um, okay. Uh, I've written about uh, comics, pop culture, video games, mostly focusing on video games and comics for like uh, 15 to 18 years. And when ta Coates got announced as a writer of the new Black Panther title, um, I was stunned. I know ta through um, Chris Jackson, a good friend of mine. Chris Jackson's the editor-in-chief of One World Books, a multicultural imprint at Random House. Years ago, um, when we were both, both working in the same building, Chris says, hey, you guys probably get along. You're both, like nerd. You're both nerds. You like comics and stuff. Uh, so we met a few times. We, ner- we weren't really super, super close because, you know, that's how life was. Yeah. Um, but uh, when he got announced as a writer of this book, I was like, son. He's like, I know. He's like, son, I know. <laughs> um, and uh, and uh, we got back in touch. I'm being a big T'Challa fan. I was, of course, interested in what he was doing. I never wrote anything evaluative about his books, no reviews or anything like that. That'd be weird. But I did do interviews with him. And his editor, Will Moss at Marvel, read those interviews and was like, hey, Evan really seems to know Black Panther. Do you think he'd be interested in doing a project for us? And, you know, it wasn't immediate yes. I had to think about my day job. And Were you scared to jump into that? It's a big, it's oh, a big very responsibility. Much so. <laughs> very much so. Like, some of my personal icons in terms of comics creators, like, have written Black Panther. Christopher Priest is a hero of mine. And, and he was long before this moment. Um, he wrote Power Man and Iron Fist, one of my favorite comics from the, from the 80s. He was a Spider-Man editor for a while. He wrote great Batman stories. Um, Dwayne McDuffie. Um, whose birthday was yesterday, um, who passed away um, mm-hmm. way too young. But um, he wrote Black Panther when when Black Panther and Storm were on the Fantastic Four for a hot minute. You know, other people have touched his character who I love. So I was like, me? <laughs> you know, I was like, uh, how am I going to follow in these footsteps? Mm. But the, the, the one thing I knew was I knew the character's fictional history, and I knew that the story I'm telling in Rise of the Black Panther had never been told. What are you most, what pitfall or trap are you most afraid of falling into writing Black Panther comics? What are you most trying to avoid doing wrong? Man, um, I don't want to show readers anything they've seen before, mm. which by virtue of the story, I'm I'm not running into that problem. Mm-hmm. I want to have the female characters in there be, be well realized. Mm-hmm. Um, that's part of the reason I, I wrote issue one the way I did, which mm-hmm. was narrated by... Um, T'Challa's two mothers. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to make the mistakes of somebody who's part of a marginalized group of people who's felt ignored um, in pop culture. I don't want to ignore other people who I could feel um, I could welcome into the narrative. So I'm very conscious of that. Yeah. yeah. I, I can speak so, to one yeah. one uh, potential critical pitfall that Evan is avoiding very, very nicely. Uh-huh. It's a little technical. It's a little inside baseball, That's so okay. it might not make it a podcast, but it's between right. you and me, Sam, yeah. uh, when writers of prose, even those who love comics, approach comics, there is a tendency to not let go of the written word, to have a white-knuckle grip on the written word. Consequently, you get panel after panel filled with so many word balloons oh. uh, It's like everyone's like the house and up, and it's, <laughs> it, can get, it can get overwhelming. So less words. What Evan knows is that he is doing 
half the work. I mean, I, you don't mm. want to compare comics to another medium, but let's do it. Uh, a lot of writers approach it as they're the the writer and director and cinematographer, uh. and the artist is the set designer. And mm. that's not true. What the artist is doing is building directing, the world. building the world, creating tone in yeah, a real yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. So he's writing the script and he's doing a great job of it, but he also trusts his artist, and that is the that most world. important thing. Oh, I like that. So yeah, so that's yeah. that's a thing that yeah. uh, that is a pitfall that. Many, 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 many mm-hmm. prose writers fall into. Oh, yeah. So, Glenn, so, oh, go ahead. Sorry. First, I want to say thank you because uh, that's nice to hear. Look, I'm writing denser than average comics. I know that. Well, that's a um, character, dude. Char- I mean, Black Panther makes speeches. Like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's he what does. he does. It's what he and does. People in Wakanda, they hold forth. They hold um, forth, exactly. You know, the first issue in particular was dense, and they get better as they go along. But I'm trying to communicate a scope of history, right? Mm-hmm. That's been unseen. So, like, I've, you know, I can only do that, but so many ways visually. Sometimes it's just going to have people talk about, well, we used to do this, and now we do that. No, I, I think it's working really, really well. Thank you. I've also blessed with really great artists. Yeah. But that's a whole other tangent. And I'm not going to go down right now. I have a few more questions and I'll let you guys go. But one of the things I was talking about with my colleague Brent is kind of the idea of how Black Panther fits into black nerd culture. Um, There's been a little coverage recently about how with Barack Obama in office for eight years and then films like Get Out and now films like Black Panther, there is this ascendant black nerd culture um do you guys think that's the case because i kind of have mixed feelings about the idea i'm gonna Um, let evan go (laughs) yeah well i mean one i think that like all that we really mean when we say nerd culture is that someone or a group of folks is really into a thing and that happens to everyone whether they're quote cool or not cool everyone has a thing that they're into we just call some of it nerd yeah, my my personal definition of nerd has always been like you have a disproportionate outsized passion for the thing you love to the point where it's embarrassing. Okay. Like if it doesn't embarrass you, then you might be somewhere else on the spectrum. Okay. Um, it's funny. I was talking to a friend of mine. I've been doing a lot of press because of this moment, and I was talking to a friend of mine from college, and he's like, "I remember we were freshmen and sophomores, and you went on a forty-five minute rant about Black Panther and Wakanda, and now look <laughs> at you." I'm like, "Well, I guess it paid off." But like, yeah, I was not winning friends with that rant. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that there's something about the moment we find ourselves in that that it is allowing black men like yourself, other black people to be more secure in that kind of distinct nerddom or is it there's always been black nerds and there always been but i feel i I do feel like there's a a coalescing of this identity some people call it blurred um um i hate um, the way that sounds yeah i hate the way it sounds either i I don't i don't people you can call yourself what you want it's fine but it does not sound like it does not a pleasing sound to my ear um (laughs) i also hate blipster sounds better but it's also derogatory wow (laughs) black hipster yeah i was called that so many years (laughs) screw those people Um, anyways go ahead but yeah like i do feel like there's there's whole social media networks of people who like part of the reason this movie is successful is because people who identify as blurs and black nerds like you know they feel like finally a character they, they've um, embraced and poured all this fan energy into is getting his day yeah. so yeah I feel like there is there is a sense of ascendancy like Black Lightning is is a show on the CW now that's DC's character um, as a black superhero and you know it's a big hit and people celebrate it there's a difference of scale, but in the same way that they're celebrating Black Panther, they're like, okay, this show is quality. It's about something, mm-hmm. which is uh, the, the same major success that Black Panther um, is enjoying. It's about something, and it's about blackness, and yeah. um, with with all the kind of 
mythological uh, scope of, of big adventure stories. But like those two things together are feel really glorious. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and what the film did so well is taking this thing was that was in and of itself for so long a microculture and made it monoculture mm-hmm. and made yeah. this thing that was totally inside baseball, nerdy, accessible to all everyone, including myself. And they did that very well. But I think my question for both of you guys is, did you have any qualms with the film? Mm-hmm. Anything you would have done differently in the movie? Um, the stuff that is familiar about the the film is the stuff that is, in a very real way, the sort of genre concepts of superheroes. So, yes, there is, he fights an evil version of himself. Spoiler alert, that's a, that's a classic trope. Yes, there are many car chases, and we've seen car chases before. And yes, at one point, if I could fix anything, it's when there's a character death, uh, someone else who's standing next to that person says, No! <laughs> and if, I could, if we could just get rid of that, I think we improve uh, the superhero genre by a good okay. 38%. Okay. What about you, Evan? It's hard, because I really, really love it. Um, okay. And I'm sure you know all not, these folks. I, I, uh, no, not really. Okay. I mean, I, I I knew very little about the movie co- going in, which okay. probably for the best. Right. Um, which is not to say that it's perfect, but like, I haven't seen the movie for like a week now. I saw it last Thursday, uh-huh. and I'm I'm kind of fiending. Okay, uh-huh. all right. I would I would build out the storylines and the backstories of uh, the two lead women warriors. Mm-hmm. They were so fierce and so intense, and I wanted to know, yeah. to know more about them. I also, and I'm not sure if this is true. I read somewhere, some headline somewhere, that they were supposed to, they were actually supposed to have like a lesbian plot line. Mm-hmm. Is that the case? Was Gl- that true? Do you want to do this, Glenn, or, or no? Go, I... go nuts. Go nuts. Oh, sorry. Wait. Uh oh. Did I step uh, into a can of worms? No, no, no. 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 Oh, okay. it's, it's 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 kind of complicated because um, it does seem to be part of uh, an unfortunate decision pattern huh. that. That's been made in a previous movie okay. too. Tell me all about it. So, um, in Thor Ragnarok, uh, Tessa Thompson's character, the Valkyrie character, um, was written as bisexual, and they'd hmm. shot apparently a scene um, where um, a woman is coming out of her room as they're going off to do like a big adventure thing. Um, so, like a sly nod at, mm-hmm. at her sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently, there was a scene um, in Black Panther. I don't know. Any, I wasn't there. I wasn't on set. But it was it was a, a scene that was reported where I think it was Okoye and Ayo, played by Florence Kasumba, were having some kind of flirty dialogue too. Now in the comics, um, Ayo and Anika, another member of the Dora Milaje, who were the elite female fighting force in the in the comics in the movie, um, they have a, a romantic relationship, and that's well established. That's mm-hmm. in comics that were written by Ta-Nehisi Coates and Roxane Gay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The problem is. Those are different characters than what's in the movie. Okay. So, so, so as, uh, okay. So, like, it wasn't like the filmmakers purposefully chose to remove a lesbian plot line. It's just those weren't the characters in the film. And that's where the the the, yeah. the, the, the mushiness. Oh, okay. Of, because of they could have changed in. it if they wanted to and put that lesbian right. plot line in if they wanted to, right? But Sam, you wanted more from those characters. You wanted more of the backstory. I heard the same thing from Gene Denby, who oh, said, really? you know, I he liked the film. He didn't love it because a the hype uh, kind of got to him. He was expecting so much. His expectations were set so high, and uh, b uh, you know he said the same thing. I wanted more of this world, which. When stepping out of a two and a half hour film, mm-hmm. and you say I wanted more of that world, that means it succeeded. That means something. Was yes, going it did right. work in some ways. You know, I, I was I was comparing this to the last 
comic book movie I really, really loved, which was Logan. Sure. Which I found mm. to be amazing and like almost in some ways with my little comic book movie knowledge, like genre shifting. Like it sure. was a true like Western, you know, mm-hmm. has this movie in the same way changed the genre or is it just a really good film decidedly already in the genre that exists right now? Well, I'll just say it expanded it in okay. a way that it needs to be. Um, okay. Because again, genres come in and out of style, right? Yeah. So this is, a, the superhero genre is a genre like Westerns, like horror, like rom-coms, and they're going to cycle in. And there's, rom-coms there's, will never cycle out. Like, yeah, they, they always cycle out. Things <laughs> have cycled out. In the when have rom-coms in. ever cycled out? Oh, there had been a long stretch of time. When was the last like rom-com, major rom-com besides uh, the big sick. What was the major rom com that came out in a, a big way? It's it's part of the deal. It's the circle of it's a circle of life, uh, and so we're now at a moment of su- uh, what everybody's calling a superhero glut because, mm-hmm. and the reason they're sensing that is because everything we've seen for so long has mm-hmm. been kind of the same, has been hitting the same beats over and over again. Here is a chance to kind of prove to people that the genre doesn't have to be what you think it is because yes. you've seen it eighteen yes. times before. Yes. But it but but it it is interesting how like in many ways Black Panther is so different and and revolutionary but in many ways it does what comic book movies are supposed to do that's the that's the just fine that's the needle they have to thread exactly. yeah yeah last question yes or no this halloween is it cool for white kids to wear a black panther costume so i i did an interview um uh for there was a piece in new york times where my kwame opum and i did an interview for that um i talked about you know the first time i talked about black panther as a superhero with my daughter it was hard because you have to talk about colonialism. Like, mm-hmm. to me, there's no way to talk about this character without colonialism. Mm-hmm. The reason he's heroic is because he's his country, his legacy is heroic because it's been... Free from uh, colonialism. Re- resisting, co- repelling colonialism, yes. Mm-hmm. So then you get into stuff about slavery and, you know, that whole bag. My thing is, I've always said that white Black Panther fandom and black Black Panther fandom are two very different things. Mm. And um, I feel like... It's great on one hand to see like a black character elevated to the to the level of a Superman where he's so cool, so ubiquitous and of the moment that white kids uh, want to dress like him. Like that is in one way, that's the goal, right, okay. of, of pop culture ascendancy. But on the other hand, it feels like, well, what are you going to tell your kids about this character? Just that he's cool. He's from a really cool country, with really cool tech. Well, why is the country cool? Why does it have cool tech? Why is this country more important than different countries? And then that there's the literal, it's the cybernetic rhino in the room mm-hmm. um, that you have to decide whether you talk about or not. Mm. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to say no, uh, white kids can't dress as Black Panther at Halloween. What I hope is it's a, it's a moment to have these kind of conversations. Yeah. And yep. the people who don't want, quote unquote, politics to, to, to be part of their entertainment or their superhero fandom um, are going to, uh, you know, naysay that. But Black Panther comics have always been political. Yep. Yes or no? Um, yeah. uh, yes, <laughs> with an asterisk, with that same asterisk. Yeah. yeah, it's fraud. It's fraud. It's it's. But you know, is it glib to say if if I had a son and he wanted to dress as Wonder Woman, I'd be like, yep, go nuts, sure. Yeah. Um. So so yeah, it's. But again, it's it's not it's not a simple answer, and it shouldn't be. That is a good way to end things, you guys. I thank y'all both so much for helping me. F- not feel like a complete idiot in this conversation in a world that is not my own mm-hmm. the world of comic books is not my own and y'all were such good shepherds of this little bitty lamb I appreciate it I really you're, really you're do black sheep I'm a, <laughs> yes yes there you go just trying to become a black panther <laughs> 
Glenn Weldon and Evan Narciss. Thanks to both of them. Listeners, as you hear this, I am driving across the country from D.C. to L.A. with my best friend in the world, Zora the dog. Uh, We are getting back to the beach life I've wanted for so long. So this Friday will be our first weekly wrap from the West Coast. Um, And I want to make sure for that episode that we have plenty of best things to listen to when I get out there. So record yourself telling me the best thing that happened to you all week. Send the file to me at samsanders at npr.org. Until Friday, until L.A., I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon.